Ari Rosenbaum here with uh, another uh, fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. Six weeks topic. We're going to talk about the times. You know, plan sponsor can't trust their third-party administrator. Uh, of course, go to that 4K site.com for further information, all our articles and whatnot. We're doing a, um, uh, the virtual plan conference in January. Uh, we'll be doing probably a plan sponsor type of virtual event in October. Uh, of course, if you see my emails, you can attend that virtual 401k conference in January over two days for free for a limited time. Uh, find those emails and click on and uh, sign up uh, today for free instead of paying the $2 or whatever I'm going to be charging. Um, when it comes to the topic at hand, I think trust to me has always been one of the most important facets of my life. I think that, you know, if you don't have trust with people, then what do you have? Um, when I was dating years ago, a couple years before I met my wife, I, I met somebody who uh, uh, lived in California. Um, and it was serious for a little bit. But I think the biggest problem was I didn't trust her. Um, lovely girl. Um, for some reason or another, she's still friends with my... <laughs> My mother and sister on Facebook, I, I don't know what it's all that about, but, um, you know, trust to me, I, I think she just went through her third marriage. Um, some people are not good at marriages, that, that's fine. I, I'm not I'm not good at uh, college roommates and uh, jobs uh, where I wasn't the boss. But, you know, I did trust her, and I just, I, all I could think about was, you know, was, we are going on for six months, I'm like, I think if I marry this girl, I think I'm going to get a divorce. Um, and, you know, been happily married now for almost 20 years. Mostly happy for 20 years. Um, so, you know, I trust my wife. Uh, and if I didn't trust my wife, that'd be a huge problem. I think trust, trust is really the most important facet, you know, with uh, folks at home, um, with relatives, um, you know, I, I knew from the get-go early on at certain places I worked who did who not to trust. You know, Norma was somebody you can trust at a certain TPA, and Fred, the uh, administrative guy at the, that certain law firm, who told me to write something up so he could fine-tune it and you know work on it with me uh, before handing it into the managing attorney. He just, of course, handed it to the managing attorney. Uh, but, you know, again, there are certain instances where 401k plan sponsors really can't trust their TPA. When I do this episode, I want to say, um, when I first started my practice in 2010, I want to, I was on LinkedIn, uh, Mike Alfred, uh, for Brightscope suggested, you know, go in the LinkedIn groups, post stuff, post articles, post opinions, and that's how you get your name out there. Back when the groups were really happening, uh, when LinkedIn, before they, kind of de-emphasized it and made it kind of more difficult to see things in these groups. Um, but, you know, I was critical at the time, at 2010, that's before fee disclosure, I was very critical of, you know, hiding the ball on fees and producing TPAs and revenue sharing and all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of perceived, you know, when you're very critical of something, uh, you're considered a hater. Uh, I've learned that I learned that at an early age. You know, when you were when I was at law school, and I was very critical about a lot of things that were going on at law school. 
you know, uh, as the as a columnist, and then later as the executive editor of the law school news magazine, you're you're labeled as a hater. You hate this place. No, I don't hate this place. If I hated this place, why would I give constructive criticism on how to prove it? And that's how I felt about the retirement plan space. That's how I, you know, felt about the TPAs. So I want to emphasize here that. I worked for TPAs for nine years, 16 years outside of it, and I want to say that, you know, good majority of TPAs out there can be trusted, 90, 95%. Uh, it's quite a few that you can't. Uh, 5% or 10% still makes up a whole lot of TPAs that you can't trust. And obviously, you can't trust them if you don't get the full story or, uh, you know, you don't get the information if you disclosure. Plan sponsors a fiduciary duty to only pay reasonable plan expenses, and they uh, certainly uh, need to know how much they're paying. And still to this day, um, there are, you know, TPAs out there that aren't very, very clear as to what they're doing. Um, you know, I, I, I say, I, I, I always say that the biggest problem with fee disclosure in my mind was I wish that the Department of Labor had model forms. In the sense, not model forms, but in the sense these are the required forms. A standardized form. Uh, we have standardized, if you ever check a box of cereal or any food item, you see a nutrition guideline. It's mandated by law. Uh, it's changed a lot over the years. You get more and more information as we learn more and more about healthy eating and processed foods and all that kind of stuff. And I always felt like when it came to fee disclosure that we could have used something like that where there was like a, a standard form, a standard practice, and disclosure. But still to this day, there are some TPAs out there that you need a forensic accountant to figure out how much they're being paid. Um, you know, they could be insurance providers or, or whatnot or working with other providers as well. Um, you know, I, I always say that if you, you, you got to hire a forensic accountant or risk attorney to read your disclosures, uh, you probably can't trust your TPA. Uh, next, when the TPA wants to do too much, uh, wants you to do too much, um, I will always say that ADP and paychecks, my biggest knock against them, has always been that they expect too much from their clients. Um, I think that uh, any information that a TPA needs from a plan sponsor has to be written in English, has to be very, very uh, descriptive and informative, so the plan sponsors knows what the heck they're doing. So there was always that story. One of the payroll provider TPAs sends out to a specific employer, identify all your key employees. And so the sponsor, which was, a, I believe, a cleaning company, um, didn't understand that the term key employee for purposes of top-heavy meant one thing. They thought it meant just a key employee to the running of the organization. So they checked off everybody as a key employee, including the folks that are making thirty grand or less. Uh, that payroll provider said that the plan was top-heavy as a result. Uh, I think that you know the job of TPA is to break it down in English for plan sponsors. Uh, I, I find that you know ERISA for those outside of the business is a whole gobbledygook that they don't understand, and they don't know what a control group is. They don't know what affiliated service group is. And so if a plan sponsor doesn't really know what the TPA is asking of them, they're going to provide incorrect information. So I think that a plan, a good TPA out there, someone you can trust and someone you can hold your hand. I think there's a really a need for that. And um, that's, that's to me, the what makes up a really great TPA.
Number uh, next one, um, TPI. Obviously, I, I've done this uh, quite a few times. The TPA that doesn't provide annual valuations and provides incorrect testing. Um, you know, I dealt with uh, a plan sponsor on a defined benefit plan situation where the actuary didn't provide um, valuation reports for 25 years, um, and they had no idea where the benefits were going and whatnot. And Obviously, there are TPAs that do incorrect uh, testing all the time. There's nothing worse for a plan sponsor to figure out, by the way, uh, that ADP tests we really failed at last year, and we're past the point where we could do refunds, and now we got to make a Kinec. Uh That's not a surprise that anybody wants to face. I mean, I hate all surprises. That's why uh, I didn't need, you know, if we have testing to figure out, if I'm having a boy or a girl, I'm going to be the one figuring out. I don't need a surprise at the end. It's either going to be a boy or a girl. It's not going to be a dodge dart. So I don't need surprises. I don't like surprises. I like to know what I'm getting. And I like to know that the testing being done by a TPA is correct. And if the TPA is doing incorrect testing and screwing up and it's the plan sponsor that's got to foot the bill for it, that's certainly a TPA that you cannot... Uh, a, a trust. Uh, you know, the TPA that doesn't do their work uh, is going to cost the plan sponsor a whole lot of money. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. Next, uh, a TPA that doesn't review the plan. Uh, you have it a lot. You know, a retirement plan isn't like a stationary bike. Uh, it's a living, it's a living creature almost. I'm not saying that it's living like, you know, like a, a movie monster. But, you know, like the Constitution, a plan is a living, breathing document. Uh, it's, it's a vehicle. It's a savings vehicle. And situations change. Life changes. Uh, what worked for a company when they had five employees doesn't work anymore when they have 15 employees or even as, as little as 10. So it's important that a, a good TPA uh, checks all the plan parameters uh, you know, if a plan is failing testing uh, annually, uh, you know, there's a fix for that. There's a safe harbor plan design. Maybe there's automatic enrollment to fix that. Uh, maybe the company has more money and can do a new comp allocation. But you're not going to get that if you have a TPA that just doesn't care and doesn't, you know, sit down and huddle with you every now and then. Uh, companies, you know, the, the, the plan that was a startup, uh, things change when the Plan is two, three, four million bucks. Uh, there always needs to be a constant communication between a good TPA and a plan sponsor. A bad TPA is obviously never going to look at the plan and not really going to care whatsoever what's going on. Next, uh, always a soft, you know, uh, hard point with me, a soft spot for me, uh, a sensitive spot for me is the deconversion process with the TPA. Uh, just got the email from a DOL agent on this TPA that I reported about two years ago almost, I want to say, um, about their deconversion process. Um, I, 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 I will always have a problem with deconversion fee. There's no other business that I know of that when you fire them, there's a cost associated with firing them. Yeah, I mean, there are contracts when I, if I fire Verizon with the two years, before the two years are up, I'm going to pay a penalty. That's contractual. 
Uh, outside of that, if I fire Verizon after two years are up and go back to Optimum uh, for my cable and Wi-Fi and all that crap, uh, there's no, you know, uh, Verizon's not going to ask for the ask for the money. They're going to ask for my for their conversion box and their modem and all that. But they're not going to assess me a fee as long as I fulfill the terms of the contract. I fire a doctor. Maybe the doctor will charge me for the medical files, but that's associated with a copy of the medical files. I get fired as an attorney. I don't charge a client. But the TPA world works differently. It's one of the few industries that I know of that when you fire them, there's a fee associated with them. The deconversion costs, the termination costs. Um, there's a cost associated with it, and I will always have a problem with that. Um, I don't, you know, to me, it's if you want to get paid for getting fired, assess the fee at the beginning, or, or put that into your fee. Uh, like I always say, you're hired to be fired. And uh, the biggest problem with it, and I believe one day the Department of Labor, especially maybe with the case that I'm dealing with, I think the Department of Labor is going to hammer home. And I, I think the Department of Labor is going to hammer home because Department of Labor just asked me for the fee disclosure forms and wanted probably to check if those deconversion costs are on the fee disclosure, which they were not. Um, deconversion fees, in my feeling, are that there should be some sort of guesstimate as to what those costs are and that they should be disclosed to the plan sponsor. Again, I work for a TPA, you know, the most miserable man I probably ever worked for. He was the guy in charge. He, he was the minority owner. Uh, he owned like 10 points off of the business, but he was running the place into the ground. And he was the guy in charge of figuring out the deconversion costs. So if the plan sponsor was working with an advisor that had five to 10 plans with us. That plan would pay less in deconversion fees than if we had a plan sponsor and this was the advisor's only plan with us. That's how they figure it out. And in my situation with this plan, uh, with this TPA that I'm fighting with, uh, with the Department of Labor, um, we paid them an annual fee. Uh, that, you know, Empower was also working with us as well. So we were having the, you know, this TPA do the 5,500, you know, the VAL and all that stuff. We paid an annual fee. The 5,500 and, deconver uh, the 5500 and the valuation came with it, but the TPA insinuated that because the work was being done in July, uh, they should get more money. And I said, no. They wanted $80,000 for that $5,500 and valuation. They got paid $130,000 annually by us. I said no. And we had a little range war going on. Uh, I brought uh, you know, some industry experts into this to try to settle it. Um, as a result, uh, the TPA owner sent in a claim to have sent in um, a complaint about me to the New York State Attorney Grievance Committee. I don't know if he ever mailed it or they laughed it out because, I mean, it was, it was a joke. It was kind of like uh, he, he's done some bad things. He hurt my feelings and he hurt the reputation of my business. Uh, originally, was going to send it to New York City, even though I'm Nassau County. And Nassau and Suffolk County, the Grievance Committee sits in Hophog in Suffolk County. Uh, but to this day, I've still never got the grievance. So I, I don't know if he ever sent it or 
you know, it's just the work of a narcissist. They just send it out there just to scare you, whatever it was. And uh, I wasn't scared the least. Um, I think that, uh, again, uh, in my opinion, you can't trust the TPA that won't specify what the deconversion process, the costs associated might look like. Uh, I hate sticker shock. I want to know what I pay up front. That's why I charge most of my clients a flat fee. They know up front what they're getting uh, so that there's no uh, discrepancy uh, or issue. And um, I, I think the feature of this business is going to be the conversion fees that are going to be specified or guesstimated. Um, next, not uh, actually, last but not least, uh, TPA doesn't play well with other plant providers. Um, you know, they, they always say in nursery and kindergarten, there's always going to be that kid that didn't play well with others. In some classes, there was a couple of people. I don't remember, I mean, I, I, I know, I, I remember very little of kindergarten. I remember getting chicken pox in kindergarten. I remember uh, losing a couple of teeth. Uh, and that's basically it. And I, I remember graduation, uh, but very little. Um, but there's always that problem kid out there who didn't play well with others. Uh, there's always those TPAs out there that won't play well with other plan providers. And, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, not cooperating with the plan's financial advisor or auditor. It could also be the situation where the TPA wants to, um, you know, uh, you know, push out the advisor because they want to work with an advisor that they like or they want to, or they own a financial advisory business. Um, I've worked for producing CPAs and there was always a potential problem uh, for us working with other advisors because other advisors didn't trust us. And I worked, uh, you know, years later when I was in my own practice, I went to a broker dealer's office out in Long Island and the guy managing the office pulled me aside and said my old boss wasn't allowed there because he had stolen business from a, a broker. Um, you know, uh, I, a TPA really can't be everybody for everybody, uh, everything for everybody. So I think it's kind of important how they handle that job without the distraction of trying to be everything. So if you have a TPA that wants to be advisor, they want you to work with a specific auditor, uh, and they're just trying to push out people that you work with, that's a problem. And I have it right now. I'm, I'm the fiduciary of a plan and um, TPA that we've been working with wants to, you know, somehow push me out as plan fiduciary. I don't think it's nice. Uh, that, that fee works really well with me. I like that monthly check every month. Pays my Amex bills, Amex bills, and, you know, I could save a couple of shekels for... Uh, for retirement, whatever other purpose I have, but you know, they want to push me out, and uh, you know, that's a problem. And I think that that's a problem when we're working with TPAs that you know want to be everything for everybody and not playing well with the plan providers that the plan sponsor has put in place, either by not cooperating or just flat out wanting to you know take their business. And that's obviously someone you can't trust, and, you know. That's how I see it, and uh, we'll see how my situation goes out. Um, but um, until that changes, who the heck knows? Uh, but uh, anyway, 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of 4K Podcast. Go to that 4K site.com for further information. Uh, articles and blog posts and all that kind of stuff, as well as information on all our events. We'll probably have to put the regular sign-up page soon for the virtual event, as well as the information concerning the planned sponsor event that we are planning. So, hope uh, you have a great week, and tune in next week for another episode of that 4K Podcast.